I have a question for you. What are you doing to support women to leadership positions in your organisation? From all of the work I have done with both individuals and organisations, I have compiled my learnings on this issue in my new guide, 15 Ways to Support Women in Leadership. You can download it for free at happieratwork.ie forward slash resources. The guide addresses not only the individual responsibility of us as women looking to get to those leadership positions, but also the challenge of creating a supportive environment. A reminder of that address, happieratwork.ie forward slash resources. You're listening to the Happier at Work podcast, and I'm your host, Aoife O'Brien. Through a combination of solo episodes and interviews with some incredible guests, we bring you the insights and practical tips to create happier working environments for you and your teams. If you enjoyed today's episode, consider sharing it with a friend or a colleague and leaving a rating or review on your favorite platform. If we know that the three biggest costs in business today for any business across the world is an absentee workforce, people taking days off for work, obviously, it's a lack of productivity when they're in the workplace, so not achieving sales figures or manufacturing figures. And the third one is the costs involved in training employees that then move on a couple of months later to a new job. So all the costs. If they are the three biggest costs, then the three biggest reasons for those costs are mental health. And yet the lowest spend in budgets from companies is around mental health. For anyone who's listening in Ireland or New Zealand today, you'll be very familiar with today's guest, Brent Pope. Brent is a former Irish rugby player on an international level, a fantastic career. And he went on to do some great work with the national television station here in Ireland as well. And it's my absolute pleasure to have him on as a guest today. And he is covering a really important topic related to a new initiative that he has called Elephant in the Room. And it's all related to mental health and how we get more people talking about mental health, especially in the workplace, especially in relation to men. So I do want to offer a trigger warning for this. So if you have any mental health issues, do know that we do talk about some sensitive topics on the podcast episode today. So I wanted to make you aware of that. And also, if you're experiencing anything that we talk about, this is not a therapy session. This is nothing like that. If you do need some support, do reach out to the appropriate people to get that support. As always, I'll be doing a synopsis at the end of some of the key points that we cover today. And I would very much welcome your feedback to get involved in the conversation. You'll find all of my links on my website, happieratwork.ie. And I really look forward to hearing about what you thought of today's episode. Also, before getting to the main part of the podcast, I wanted to let you know that this is a condensed version of the conversation that we had. And if you head over to YouTube, you'll get the full length podcast episode in video format as well. So head on over to YouTube. I will put a link to the YouTube episode below so you can go out, check out the full length podcast episode over on YouTube. Brent Pope, you are so welcome to the Happier at Work podcast. I'm so privileged to have you on the show today. And I think for me, anyone who's listening in Ireland probably knows the name. I'm not sure people beyond <laughs> Ireland would be familiar too much with you. Do you want to tell people a little bit about who you are, what your background is, and what got you into what we're talking about today? I suppose my mental health problem started when I was in my teenage years and it started with panic attacks or 
anxiety attacks. And mm. people always ask what the trigger was. And I have to say that there's not always a trigger. You know, for me, yeah. it was, it wasn't always event driven. It wasn't like I had no worries in my life at that stage, but I just used to get what I call my Gatling gun. And my, my Gatling gun to me was just this, this machine gun of negative thoughts, you know, that I'll fail at everything I do, even though I was succeeding, but that I'll never find a happy place. And, mm. you know, somewhat ironically, I remember few years ago, I, I found a book that I kept up in the attic and I bought the book when I was, I think, 15 years of age. And the book was, was When Will I Be Happy? And I thought, that's a weird book for someone <laughs> to buy at that age, because yeah. I thought I was abnormal. You know, mm. I just thought that all these feelings of kind of negativity and all aspects of my life, I just thought this is not normal. But like a lot of people in mental health, I masked those years yeah, right through to when I had you know, when I moved into the more sinister mental health issues, I mastered as the class clown, as the people that mm. had a lot of friends and was smiling all the time. And, and, you know, but that wasn't what was going on. I was kind of living a lie, not in the, not in the personality term. I don't live a lie in the personality that I'm, you know, not fun to be around and I can get on. It was just, I was masking my sort of coming out with these difficulties. What I tell everybody that's why I have a, have a bit of a problem with the word wellness when it involves mental health, because I knew all about physical wellness from my sport playing days. As you know, my background is I played rugby at a, at a, at a, a really high level and I was a good rugby player, but I couldn't tie the physical and fitness of being to my mental well-being. And I couldn't get help in those days because everybody I went to see for help always brought it back to the physical. We said, okay. hey, you know, weren't your player of the match last week, Brent Hort? You know, doesn't everybody in the city know who you are? You're a fabulous rugby player. You're living the, the charm life or the dream mm. life. You have a beautiful partner. We've seen you out and about. You have a successful business. All those things, yes, mm. on the outside. But I just couldn't cope with, I couldn't cope with the pressure. I couldn't cope with the anxiety. I couldn't cope mm. with the negativity. And there was no one to go to. I, I couldn't yeah. go to any for help. I couldn't reach out for help. Then it became really concerning. Then I got to a stage where I just couldn't manage it on my own and yeah. was desperate for help. And, and my my thoughts on mental health in those days was that if I had been, well, I would have thought, now I know I would have been brave enough. But in those days, I thought, but if I was stupid enough to reach out and say, admit myself to a psychiatric care or whatever like that, my visions were one through over the cuckoo's nest. That's what yeah. mental health looked like to me. Yeah. I, I thought... I'd make the front pages of the paper next day. Top rugby player is, is insane, or you know, all those mm. sort of images of straight jackets, of yeah. frontal lobotomies, and all that. And people laugh about that now, but that was very much that was very much the way mm. in New Zealand back, you know, forty years ago or, or, or forty-five years ago. I just unravelled. I couldn't go to any of my friends because I'd be seen as weak as a man. Yeah, because I grew mm. up in a macho world where men. Real men don't cry and man up and toughen up and harden up, and toughen out and all these things that I was told to me. But they will think from a physical point of view, not a mental point of view. You know, mm. it was easy to say muscle up and harden up when you go out into a rugby tackle. I was an aggressive, hard-nosed rugby player and it was fine. I could transfer that easily into a tackle or whatever like that and get up and, and go again. I just couldn't transfer those skill set to my mental health to look after my mental health. I still deal with shame and I still deal with judgment and I still deal with those things every day. I couldn't get the help. And then I had what, you know, I don't even like to use this term. I, I'd rather call it an emotional breakdown. Hmm. 
I had I had a breakdown in, in my late twenties where I just wanted to I become very isolated. I wanted to lock myself away from friends. I didn't want to go out anymore. I didn't want to see anybody. I just sat in my room. I pulled the blinds. As I, I think this, I pulled the blinds to my to my life. I didn't yeah. want to play rugby anymore. I left my job. I uh, broke up with a partner. I was going downhill to such an extent that I just didn't. I couldn't see how I could get out of it because there was still something inside of me that wanted that help and, and knew I needed help. Yeah. I just couldn't get it. Who could I turn to? You know, mm. people say, oh, you know, it wasn't as easy as talking to your father or something because he was a he was an old-fashioned, really kind and, and, and beautiful man, but, you know, his role in those days was to put food on the table and he worked three jobs to do it, and it, it wasn't really his role to, to kind of, he wouldn't have known where to start, you know. Like I know he loved, I know he loved me and I loved him and, and mum too and she loved me and I loved her. But it was just something that I was ashamed to go to them for, you know. Yeah, yeah. I felt shame that I couldn't mm. put this, that they had this idea of who I was. and Who mm. I was was a success on the rugby field. Everybody, yeah. everybody knew Popey and I was writing kids books and doing all things like that. It just personified me as a as probably a successful guy that was doing great things with his life. So I, I felt the shame of saying, do I have to tell my parents now that's not who I am? Yeah. And in fact, I, I, I'm a failure in my mm. eyes. Yeah. Even though I wasn't, people can feel failure even though they're achieving you know, great things because it's not about that. It's not about the extrinsic that values that people place on on success, which is, you know, making money, having a nice house, having a nice car, all those things we can see. Mm. What what we can't see is what people think about themselves. And I yeah. was I was very much alone in this battle. I was scared. I was terrified. I couldn't get help. But I didn't think a lot of myself. Mm. I, I, I didn't have much self-confidence. I didn't have much self-belief that I would ever be able to achieve it, even though I was. Do you, do you think it made it more difficult because of this outward perception? So you have this perception of, wow, isn't he phenomenally yeah. successful? But there's a real disconnect between how people perceive you and how you perceive yourself, yeah. which makes it more difficult to reach Absolutely. out for help because it shatters that illusion. Well, then you, you, you st we go back to the first question, who, who am I? Because yeah. you start to doubt to know who you are, who you are really. Yeah. And that's taken a lifetime to try to get to imagine where, who am I? Who is the real bread pope? Who is the real popey? Is he that affable, easygoing, fun-to-be-around guy mm. that I portrayed, or is he, in fact, that person that suffers a bit and, uh, well, yeah. suffers a lot, actually. Uh, I'm mm. just playing that down, too. That suffers a lot because that all comes into the judgment circle. You know, mm. what you think about yourself is most important. You know, and even in the workplace, I say to people at management level and that, look after yourself first because... Only then can you look after people. I yeah. wasn't very good at looking after myself. I, you know, if somebody told me, love myself first, I'd say, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Give, yeah, the love yeah. Out, give the love out, but don't take. And I self-sabotage, and that mm. came into my life as well. Any relationship that would have been good for me, I just thought I wasn't worthy. You know, even though people would say to me that they cared about me and all that, I would back away because it was just getting too close to the bone for me. You know, mm. what yeah. if they discovered the real me? What if they mm. didn't like what they saw? Yeah. What if my rugby teammates, 
you know, saw this as a weakness. And what, what if I went to them on a Thursday night at training and said, hey, guys, I'm struggling a bit. You know, not on the rugby field. I'm just struggling a bit with my mental health. You know, that would be letting them in too much. So you, you, you then go from that state to feeling a bit, they don't want to hear about my problems anymore. Well, they don't want to listen to my problems. So then you become, you know, you, you go the other way. You isolate yourself from friends and family and you do it very much alone. And mm. it's a thing I often say to people that sort of shakes them awake a bit. And I say, look, we all know when people suffer from addiction problems and they'll always talk about getting to the lowest point in their life before they had to make changes, you know, in the sense they'll talk about, look, I, I, I couldn't reach for another bottle of vodka in the morning. I just knew things had to change, but they had to get to the bottom first. Mm. What I say about mental health is, unfortunately, if somebody gets to the bottom, nine times out of 10, we've lost them already. You know, Okay, it's, yeah. It, it, it's not as easy. We can't let them, them get down to, no, to rock bottom. No, we can't let them get down yeah. to rock bottom because at rock bottom, they feel, it's the same thing that people always say to me, you know, out there, oh, you know, did you hear of so-and-so that took their own life? How could they be so selfish? Could they leave a wife behind or a partner behind and the kids? And that I keep saying to them, it's not because it's it's rational; it's because it's irrational. And yeah. they're just stuck in a moment of time that that U two song stuck in a moment and can't get out of it. And they actually feel like I feel. They feel yeah. they're a burden yeah. to their families, a burden to themselves, a burden to society, a burden to to, to everybody. So in fact, what they're thinking about at that stage is actually that people will be better off without. And that, I, I know how that feels because mm. that's the way that I felt. Yeah. I felt that I, I, you know, when I, when I ran out of hope, all I've tried to do for the last, you know, 30 or 40 years is give people hope, give people to say, Hey, I've been there. And I know what that's like because mm. I sometimes pull my hair out when I go and hear these people speaking. I feel like, so, but how would you know, you know, you're speaking out of a book and that's fine. Mm. And you put the size behind it and that's fine too. And we all need that. But how would you know how it feels to be clinging on to, to life because of something so irrational to somebody else? We mm. could see it if somebody said, look, I've got a terminal disease or, you know, that's awful. But we can see it in people and we can support them and we can show them love and care. We, we don't see that with people with mental health. It's a silent. Yeah. It's a silent, it's silent yeah. Like you can't look at someone and be able to no. tell. No. Um, I'd love to go back to the teenage years and when you were having panic attacks. Did you know what the panic attacks no. were? I thought it was. It's only I... looking back now yeah. that you realize, oh my God, that was a panic attack. I knew it was anxiety. That's yeah. the funny word. And I didn't really know much about that word. But anxiety yeah. anxiety to me was sitting in a sitting in a room by yourself watching the exorcist or something. You know, that, yeah. yeah. That was anxiety. <laughs> So yeah. I knew it was a feeling of, of, of really severe anxiety, but it was just for me, it was that gap. It was for me, I pictured myself, I always used to draw things and it was always funny enough. We'll talk about the elephant later. And it was always, it was always little old me on the end of a rope trying to pull an elephant and the elephant was negative feelings. And there was me and the rope with yeah. the positive feelings. Yeah. And so I remember, well, I don't remember, but I must have read that book and said, look, you know, pull positive feelings in and positive affirmations and all these. Mm. But that wasn't enough. That couldn't yeah. stop the tide. I was never winning the arm wrestling. Was I, pretty mm. I was never yeah. winning that. I was always losing. I was always, you know, don't try that because you'll fail. You know, you're a loser, Brent. You know, you're alone. 
you know, nobody will care. Like it used to go that far, mm. you know, and then I'd always, I rang my father after rugby match in tears. You know, you just picture a 17 stone, six foot three man out in his dripping wet rugby gear, ringing his father, crying, say, dad, come and pick me. There's something wrong with me. There's something yeah. wrong with me. Yeah. And, and that's the way that I felt. And that's not normal. Mm. If it was just, you know, the breakup of a relationship or just the missing out on the rugby team or something, you know, fine. But see, we as men in particular, I'm not saying that, that women actually suffer more from depression, anxiety than men. But men suffer it at a different level. Yeah. There's more suicides than men. So that tells us one thing, that men don't deal with mental health the same way that women do. And I understand mm. that now because my approach was macho in the extreme. Push all your problems under the carpet, hope they'll go away, and yet not understand that they were just gathering steam to come back at a later day yeah. or call press. And that is the danger for men is that all these problems, all the stress at work, all this push it away, push it away, push it away, push it away. Man, my warning to those people is deal with it then and there because it can all come back to you. And then it can be what we say, then it can be just about too late, you know, because yeah. then it's, then it's a flood rather mm. than a trickle. Yeah. I and it's everything. It because, you know, it's everything at once. It's everything it's not, at once. It's not just a little bit of this here, a little bit Looking of that there. It's now, everything spiral. The judgment come along with it. You know, if I could have seen somebody in university a few years before when I wasn't so well known, I could have gone anonymously or whatever and had a chat to someone and somebody pointed me in the right direction, then I think that would have saved me years of getting to the point whereby I thought I had no hope and there was no hope out there. Yeah, that you have to conceal it for years and years. Mask it, conceal Mm. it, mask it, put it away. Nobody wants to know. And as long as 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 you're managing okay from the outside looking in, then people don't want to ask. Yeah. I call it life's dirty little secrets. You know, people mm. ask me why I reveal my dirty little secrets because that's what they were for me. Yeah. And people look back at me now and say, oh, we never knew, Brett. I said, of course you did. Yeah. Of course you did. Because I was masking, because I was yeah. hiding it, because I was the life and soul. Exactly. I was the, the guy telling jokes with loads of friends. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And that's, that's also what I get. You know, people will come to me all the time, you know, and, and, and they'll talk about losing somebody they know in the community. And they say, but, I, but Brent, I, I saw him at the golf club last week or I saw him at the rugby club and he was in great form. We, we shared a pint in that. And I said, yeah, because at some stage he's made up his mind that on a certain day and time, the hurt is going to stop, you know, the hurt okay. is going to stop in his life. And yeah. Sometimes when you get to that stage, you know, you kind of, you, you, I don't like to say it, but sometimes people have made a decision that, you know, they don't want to, they don't want to live in a world of hurt every day. It's like going over a relationship breakup every day of your life, you know? Yeah. So that's why I tell people, look, you know, get it sorted early on rather than own up to who you are, I suppose, is the lesson. Yeah. Own up mm. and say, look, okay. Part of, part of your vulnerabilities or part of your bravery is who you are. Yeah. And, and speaking out about your mental health before it gets to my level is who you are. Yeah. And take that, and take that back as a personality trait that is actually wonderful rather than weak. I always saw it as weakness because I had to go down that line of what a man, what it takes to be a man, what it took to be a man in my generation, especially coming from a rural background, especially being involved in rugby was to be the other side of machoism, you know, the big, tough rugby player that could handle himself physically, 
was, you know, say the life and soul of the party that had plenty of friends that had, you know, all these things that were deemed to be mm. who you are when you really weren't. Yeah. I lived, I lived a lie for so many years and, you know, I'm not, I'm not proud of it, but what and, else could I do? Well, I suppose I'm curious about how you got to the stage where now you understand a lot more about what was going on and you had the, the courage to start speaking up and, and sharing your vulnerabilities. You know, it's still not easy. Mm. And I, even today I was talking to, I, I still feel judged, but I made a decision. I kept this a secret. In fact, people think that the, the reason I came to Ireland in the first place was to play rugby. And, and to a certain degree it was. But the real reason was I had to get away from the environment when I felt judged. You know, okay. I, 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 I had to get out. I, I, I made a life-changing call to the Samaritans one night. We went, uh, you know, because I don't want to trigger anybody, but, you know, probably people can work out what the call was about. Yeah. I rang the Samaritans, and I'll always remember, that's why I do things for the Samaritans, you know, as much as I can, because I believe that phone call saved my life or the direction of my life. And just that one conversation, because somebody cared. You know, that mm. was all it was. The guy picked up the phone. He said, what's wrong, friend? And he wasn't my friend. I'd never met him, but it was just this word and the tone yeah. of that Made conversation. All the yeah. And it got, got me professional help. Uh, and, and, and I say now I, I've had to have professional help ever since that time, but mm. at least it was a step in the right direction. And at least it was somebody telling me, Brent, you know, you can get over this. You can win this. Yeah. It may take time and it may take the rest of your life you know, working away at it, but, you know, you can get through this. And that was the only time that anybody had told me that over what started having anxiety attacks when I was 14 or 15. This happened when I was 27 or 28. So it was all those years in between yeah. where I was really just struggling. Hmm. And I was invited into Ryan Tubbity's radio show to talk about the rugby match. There was a, must have been a rugby match. It was before he was on the late late. So we're talking, you know, I think maybe... 16 to 17 years ago, mm. he was only a, a, young, a young guy just, you know, on the radio at that stage. And I was, I, I always kept, I always kept my word. If I, if I said I would go on something, like, I did. Yeah. You know, I, I, that's been part of, my father always taught me, always be on time and always, you know, don't let anybody down. So even though I wasn't feeling particularly well, I thought, okay, I was just about to mask it. I had done on the TV and stuff like that. And, yeah. and he took one look at me and he said, Brent, he said, there's something wrong with you, mm. you know, and suddenly I was in that, whether it caught me at a time and I just started to kind of well up and yeah. my dirty little secrets just came out and I couldn't yeah. stop. Yeah. Once the flow, once the, once the cork was taken out, I just, I just said, Ron, I, you know, I'm suffering from mental health issues and yeah. this is not the first time and I need help and all these things. I went round the back of Archie without a word of lie, and I thought my life is over and on. Why? Because I thought, you know, big macho guy on the rug, on the telly doing the rugby, macho, mm. macho, macho, yeah, man, man's man. Well, you know, can't he can't he look after himself? Again, yeah, mm. real men don't cry. Mm. You know, man up, toughen up, hard. All these things come back in, and thinking, what am I doing? And I thought I rugby accept. And Ron rang me back about 10 o'clock the morning. He said, Brent, he said, 
I've never seen anything like it. He said, switchboards has just come on by with a lot of men around the country saying that's how they feel. And wow. at, at least someone there's there to represent them. And suddenly it just made things a bit easier. And I decided on that day, as I've done since, that if I can affect change in somebody else's life, or in fact, if I can save somebody else's life and save, save somebody from going to the places that I went, then that is what I must do. That yeah. is what I must do. Not that I, not that I have a choice because sometimes it's difficult. And I've had to say to people, sometimes I get scarred when I'm out talking because I, in like this interview, because I have to go back to those places that I don't really want to go back to. But I, but I hope people realize I go back there for the benefit of the learnings that they take out of it, that they can look at someone and say, okay, you know, if Brent can do it, then maybe I can too. And yeah. that's always been the message to me. And it's always yeah. been the message, especially to men, is that if he can do it at a place of natural platform, then then maybe I can. Maybe I can make that first call like he had to. And since yeah. that time, I've gone back and studied psychology. I'm a qualified psychotherapist. Not for anything that I think that I'm able to be a counsellor because I don't think that's my, that's my trade. But just... Mm. So it can combine the sort of science with the, the learnings with the experience part. Yeah. Because I've lived it. Yeah. And I had to, then I had to learn what I have to do to recover. I know I'll be in this battle for my life. I know that I yeah. dip, dip some troughs like everybody. Mm. The one thing that I set myself apart from when I'm talking to people, as I said, at least I know and recognize in myself when I have to make that call. Yeah. And that's the lesson in all of this. If there's one lesson that anybody takes out of this and other talks is reach out when you're at that spot. Yeah. Please yeah. reach out because the alternative doesn't worth thinking about. And, you know, know that there is help out if you can just get it. And I know that's yeah. difficult. You know, I've got it right. No, there's still times I go through those anxiety attacks. Even now, there's still times where I feel very, very down. There's still times I do that, but all I know now is, look, walk the walk, talk the talk. You've got to get working. Where are your resources? Where's your toolbox? What do you got mm -hmm. to go to next? You know, is it medical inter intervention? Do I have to, you know, ring friends on speed dial? Do I have to be medicated? Do I have to, you know, talk to somebody about going in to be just watched? All those things are a part of my life now. I've found that in a way... It's my purpose, you know. I want to get to a situation where people don't need to hear me speak. Yeah, I was just thinking exactly the same thing. I think, yeah, a lot of us have that, where it's like we want to get to a stage well, where people don't need to hire us because that's the change exactly. people want to see in the world. Exactly. Yeah. I'm sick of going back to companies once. Hey, I'm not going to come and speak again this year because, you know, <laughs> you clearly haven't addressed things from last year. Yeah, you know? exactly, yeah. But, but look, I'm at, I'm at that age now where I span a few generations, you know, I was in people's front lounges for 25 years and I have a responsibility. I think everybody out there has a responsibility when they're in the media to use that profile for good. Yeah. And I really believe that. So I, I'm just doing my little bit along with other people, yourself included. I've seen too many people, too many friends have gone down there dark avenue and have, have never come back and yeah uh, that I, I want to live in a world where nobody feels that way yeah can we can we kind of talk from the other side so you were talking about this sense of basically isolating yourself and feeling yeah. like a burden and that's 
Like that happens to me on occasion as well. You know, let's let's just tell it as it is. And mm. when I'm feeling lonely, you kind of go into this spiral then and you're like, I can't reach out to people. And it's not that I feel like I'd be a burden. It's that you don't really know how to ask for help. No. So from the other side, from the friends of people who might be yeah. going through something like this, what can they do to support? That's the most asked question. Mm. And all I say to people, you know, parents out there, it's the same answer. Anybody is that is just try to be the best listener you can be mm. because you know, the art of the art of a good counselor is somebody that listens yeah. and doesn't try to direct you until you want to be directed. You get yeah. so many people say, Oh, well, this is what I do, Brent. I say, Don't you think I've heard that before? Yeah. You know, don't you think that I'll oh, get out for a walk, Brent? Fresh air, nature. Yeah. I, I get it, guys. Mm. And it's the same as this whole revolution, the wellness revolution that I call it. That's yeah. great. That's great. But wellness to me. It's the mind that drives the body, not the other way around. I keep telling yeah. people, you know, this wellness is great. That employs a lot of people. But wellness from the physical side can be anything from meditation to yoga to living a better life, all that. I get all that. I get mm. all that. But it's not quite as simple as that when you delve over into the mental health wellness side of that. Because it, it can't be seen, as you said before. We don't know. I don't know what's going on behind your eyes now, neither yeah. do you with me, but there's certain things we can do. And the takeaways is to bring that into the real world, like connections or whatever like that. We can make connections, but then again, it's making the correct connections, as you say, but the best bit of advice is just show you care. I've never met anybody like me in the mental health world that hasn't appreciated somebody caring for them. Mm. You know, yeah, they may yeah. shun you away for a while and please don't, Please don't feel that you have to persist. If people come up and say, oh, I'm asking them every day. Well, that can mm. get annoying too. <laughs> if somebody's saying, hey, I'm okay, I'm okay. Oh, yeah, but are you really? Mm. All you can say is, look, you know, the message I give to parents out there or to company CEOs, in there, I said, if you create a culture with people that you love and care about and you just say a couple of things to them, just say, look, if anything gets you down, we all get like that sometimes. But mm. just know that I'm here to support and care for you. I'm here 24-7. If you've got to ring me at 2 in the morning or, or whatever and just have a chat, know that I'm doing this because I care for you. And I may not get it all right. People don't expect people are going to get it right all the time. Yeah. But, you know, that kind of empathy goes a long way as opposed to somebody saying to you, oh, just snap out of it, Brent, snap out of it. What good does that do? That just puts you further down the mile. Yeah. You know, yeah. because you think I can't snap out out of it, man. I, don't you think I want to? You know, yeah. talk about stating the obvious when people say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Go for a walk or go for a swim. I find that's great. Go to the gym. Will you just leave me alone? That's what mm. causes the loneliness. It's misunderstanding. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then there's judgment, you know, judging ourselves. Why can't I get better? And you better? push it away. Yeah. And then people get so egotistical about friendship. You know I'm there for you. You know I'm there for you. Mm. It's not about you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not about you. It's about the feelings you can transfer back to, to the other person to say that yeah. they that they're cared for and they're held in they're held in the palm of their hand. Mm. And that's all you can do sometimes. Yeah. Yes, it's yeah. okay to have the conversations. If you think somebody is going to the extent of talking about self harm and that yes, you can ask them now directly. You know, you're not thinking about doing anything stupid bread or anything like that. And if they mm. say Yes, I, I, I have been on occasion. Just the answer to that is, hey, you know, 
don't you think we need to get you a bit of help? And I'll come with you, you know? Yeah. Like, you know, I care about you and I support you. And, you know, I have my bad days too. And let's go together. And let's mm. go to the manager's office together. Or let's go to the doctor together. Or let's mm. talk to your mum or your dad together. That's what this whole, you know, we'll get on to in a minute, the whole elephant the room. It's just allowing people to be more confident yeah. in, in opening up. I'd love to touch on this idea of asking for help and the toolbox that someone maybe can make proactively for themselves so that when things do get bad, they know what to do. They know who they can call. They know who to reach out to. How would you say people can go about doing that? Well, I think you've got to put a bit of work into it and you've got to mm. see what works for you. But a few takeaways in that is I have a list that I have to start, you know, just quickly, quickly go through. The first is, plays a, a huge, a huge role in, in the workplace is you've got to manage stress better. Yeah. Uh, stress is, is a really worrying aspect because stress then course rolls through anxiety and anxiety then rolls into depression. So when people talk about having mental illness or mental health, I don't see many people with just one. Yeah. Because I know <laughs> mine started with anxiety, then it rolled into depression. Because if you have anxiety for a protracted period of time, it's going to turn into depression because mm. you're sick of being anxious all the time. Yeah. And then we move it further down. So we're all on that sort of, uh, I suppose, that, that scale somewhere. We're mm. all suffering from anxiety, depression, and a Yeah. It just people, A, they just don't realize, or B, it just doesn't play. But I say to people when I'm out talking, I say, hey, it's coming. And they lock it down. And I say, I said, what's coming, Brett? Like, it's coming. Yeah, At some yeah. stage in your life, you are going to need to know where your resource box is. So yeah. please have that ready to go yes. before yeah. the incident. Because yeah. that's the one learning that's the most important for me. I never had that toolbox. All those mm. years, I didn't know what to do. Yeah. When chronic stress comes in for a period of time, then you've got to also look at And you've got to go back. My biggest advice on that is go back to, go back to the worst case scenario and say, can I handle that and yeah. work? So say, can I handle that if I lose my job or something? And when you think about it, apart from a few things in life, you know, and even then you've got to address how you would handle it. You've got to say, okay, might I get another job? Yes, you might. You know, might I get a job I like better? Yes, I might. Yeah. All those things. So you go back and that's a way of managing chronic stress. And also then my advice is to people that work in those professions like nursing or teaching or whatever, go back to the core values of what it intrinsically feels like you to ever start profession. What made you get into nursing? What made you get into teaching? What made you get into PR or to manager? It's because at some core, you loved what you did. Mm. You loved what you did. And change that way of, uh, change that way of thinking and love every mo moment of that makes sense, you know. I heard a woman speak there a, a while ago and she just said, she, she turned her mind around. She said, hated doing the dishes and she got to a stage where she said, no, actually, I'm going to enjoy the process. I'm going yeah. to enjoy the warm water in my hands. I'm going to enjoy the fact that the dishes are sparkling clean. Yeah. I'm going to enjoy putting them away. For that moment, I'm going to enjoy it. So try to turn that around and say, okay, I got into nursing because I love it, because I love mm. making people well. And that's the reason why I did it. And that will help with chronic stress. That's not to say that everybody, you know, you've got to be brave enough too to go and to, to your to your bosses or whatever and say, hey, you've asked me to work seven nights a week and I'm just, I'm burnt out. And you've got to be brave enough to say, look, you've got to have work balance and stuff like that. We all know that. So that's the stress. The next one is, is, is try to achieve something every day. 
I heard another guy talk, if you go on YouTube, as a colonel talks about change the world by making your bed every day. And he's right. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when you add up all those little achievements in a day, you can come back and even the worst day and say, yeah, it was a bad day, but look what I achieved along the way. Mm. So I, I do that. I'm, I'm not great at, I'm not great at, at meditation that, but I try to ground myself when I wake up most days and just say, look, put it to gratitude and say, look, I'm grateful for being here. Connections we've talked about because that's the most important thing mm. is continue keep the connections at work, make new connections, smile at people, you know, empathy. Simple. See, it's not rocket science. Mm. <laughs> Feed off other people, feed off the feel good factor because that you give to other people that give back. We all like being seen. Well, there's not many people that don't like being seen as kind, you know? So mm. sometimes when you give something to someone, you feel good about it, you know? Yeah. If it's a card or it's remembering someone's birthday, if it's a smile at the supermarket or it's a couple of euros to someone that's homeless or whatever, you get a kick out of feeling good. Yeah. You know, and people don't do that. They go yeah. about their, their selfish ways and they say, hold on, I say to them, look, when you're going home from work and you're stressed and you're in the car and you're road raging, you know, just take your time and listen to the radio or put on a song or something like that and just say, hey, you know, I'll, I'll get back at some stage. You see these people passing you out and that, and I said, they're only going to get home like 30 seconds quicker. Just relax into it and enjoy the journey. Yeah. You know, have friends that you can call on and for different reasons. And, you know, some, all, all friends will bring something different to the party. Sometimes you need a friend that's going to tell it to you straight and say, yeah, <laughs> I need you to pick you up and take you out on a night to, to the movies or something like that. Other friends might be the person that just, you know, call around and have a cup of tea with a cup of coffee and, yeah, you know, and that's yeah. the same in a work situation. Mm. You know, it shouldn't be just the mother hen or the father figure type you go to in a work situation. You should feel in your work culture that you can go to anybody. Yeah, yeah. Just say, hey. sh- yeah. yeah. That's connect. It's about those kind of coming back to this idea of connection. connection. Um, yeah. Thing. You can absolutely have connection because that yeah. starves off loneliness. I'm just thinking, what else? Oh, yes. The other thing is our greatest asset is time. Yeah. Because that's the one thing we don't know that we have. Mm. And I always ask people to do an exercise when I'm talking. I say, are you making the best use of your time? right now and you'll probably find people aren't so put down put down what you believe is your best use of time and then on the other side put down actually where are you spending most of your time and you'll find you'll find for most people it's different so are you are you really do you really have a good work-life balance most people say no Mm. and yet that's the most important thing to them yeah and yet they say oh you know to rent the commute and to geez i was 60 hours in the office last week and mm. didn't get to see my son play the GA match. That is what disrupts a happy workplace more than anything. Yeah. And feel, feel right to ask for that balance. You know, whatever exactly. that looks like. Yeah. 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 I think for, for individuals, it's about standing up for yourself yeah, and knowing your absolutely. boundaries and, and speaking up on behalf of yourself. Knowing your boundaries, that's key advice. Just say, no, you know, you, you've asked me to come in every Saturday for the last month and I need to spend time doing something I enjoy mm. and you know and 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 whether that's making time if somebody is working from home even the office you know every year or something get up and, and go for a little walk or something break the the kind of comfort zone that you used to and maybe go out and have a conversation with someone or grab a drink of water or do something mm. to get you away from that sort of eight-hour shift where you're just 
effectively shackled to a desk. And there's a lot of businesses out there. I've spoken to a lot of businesses where I see people just on the assembly line or whatever, something's yeah. coming in front of them. Then they've got to change position after every three or four hours. No social interaction, mm. no social communion. They ask some people where to go for lunch or something, sit out in the car and have a sandwich. Wow. Man, you know. Mm. Like Tina said, if you just stood up for yourself and said, look, can we have a dartboard? Because a yeah. happy workplace is a productive workplace. Here's the exactly. kicker for me. If we know, if we know, this is the one thing that I, that always surprises me the most in businesses is one CEO I said, I said, be honest with me. And I said, why aren't you addressing this? And he said, Brent, I'm scared of opening Pandora's box. Okay. At least he was honest. Yeah. And he said, because he said, one, he said, he made something really relevant. He said, who do I go and see? You know, and that's another thing you need to put in place for upper management and mm. CEOs and that. Who do they go to see? And and also the fact that people are scared when they're tipping around mental. So it's not about destigmatization at all. That word it, it, is not used in my vocabulary. Mm. It's not about wellness as well. It's about a greater understanding or awareness of mental health so that when people get more understanding how irrational it is and how difficult it is and all these things, then we're getting somewhere. At the moment, we keep reverting back to these words like, oh, well, Brent Poach doing a great job of destigmatizing mental health in the workplace. I said, no, it's nothing to do with that destigmatize. Haven't we come past, isn't that a word that used around racism or homophobia 30 years ago? Mm. No, it should be, I'm creating more understanding or awareness yeah. that people have to look after the mental health because mental health is just a, a fact of everybody's life. It's, as I was going to say, it's something that everybody has. Yeah, and everybody you know? has it at different levels. And let's acknowledge it for what it is. Yeah. It's difficult to see that we don't know what's going on in anybody's life at any one mm. stage. They don't even know themselves. Yeah. It's, it's about being more human. It's about being more human and, and accepting. accepting who we are. So I suggest to a lot of uh, management, I said, how about this for conversation? It's what I tell parents as well. How about having the same conversation you would have with a sibling or whatever, or a friend or whatever that, to your employees? Because I think that empowers people. If they know that they're in a place of care and mm. support, they will at least know that somebody up the chain has spent enough time to think about them. Yeah. You know, to say, look, how more powerful would it be than for somebody to come down and, and, and address the employees at the start of a year, like all good captains or coaches of rugby teams do say, look, I'm not going to get it right the whole time. You know, hmm. I have my own mental health difficulties from time to time, and I suffer from stress and burnout like all you guys. And put yourself in a vulnerable spot and say, but know this, that I care about you all individually and and collectively as a group, and we're going to try to form a culture here where by I applaud people asking for help. And mm. you'll be welcome in any office, including mine, to talk about what, and we'll try to get you the help that you can. We can't promise we'll get everything right all of the time. Nobody can. But yeah. that is so much more, that is so much more empowering for people that suffer in silence rather than coming and saying, okay, well, guys, we've a new copy machine and, and, you know, we've a free yoga lessons for everybody. No, because people don't feel cared for. They don't feel nurtured. Mm. And that's the culture we need to change. And people don't want to hear that because they think that they've got their culture all right. Well, if that's the case, then they wouldn't have any problems with, a happy work environment because a happy mm. work environment is all about connections, as you know. 
it's all about how you get on with your work colleagues, how you get on with the bosses. If you're all in the, in the one direction about where you want to go as a business, all those things, business 101, yeah. the mental health perspective is left out. Yeah, exactly. To me, the single word that keeps coming up as far as happiness and work is find your purpose. You know, yeah. I don't know what that is for people, but if that's why I say to people that if you go back to the roots of why you're in that job, for most of us, there's a reason. And for most yeah. of us, yes, I know the people that say, oh, God. But if they don't have purpose, then they're going to, I'm not saying they're going to hate their job. That's maybe a bit strong. But they're soon going to run out of energy and they're still going to, just going to look for shortcuts to spend less time at work if it's not a happy place to be. Yeah. So people, people should be able to march into the workplace and say, hey, I'm invigorated. I'm enthusiastic. I like mm. the way where the company is going. I like where I'm in the workplace. I get time to that work-life balance. And my purpose is that I'm giving back to this company because they're saving trees or they're mm. doing something about the carbon footprint. Or I think those things are easy to get purpose from because it's like my purpose with mental health because, you know, you feel at a level you're saving lives. It doesn't even mm. be like that. Your purpose could be helping people learn. I just want to mention the Elephant in the Room project before I go. because Yes, we haven't just... even touched on that yet, but I'll put links down in the show notes and people can find yeah. out more. Yeah, tell us a little bit more about no, this. No, just, just briefly, I, I love art. Art means a lot in my life and especially art, what I call outsider artists. And it's a kind of a niche group that have to do art. They have to do it. Mm. And the art comes from mental health organizations, hospitals, prisons, you know, street artists. I love that art because it has a story. And again, mm -hmm. they're doing the art right here. It's un un art uncooked by culture, which is a lovely description. So I thought, what can I do to create a kind of a movement of awareness around mental health so people get it? And then somebody, sort of light bulb moment, a guy said to me one time, I was talking about mental health, and he said, from a business side of it, he said, ah, he said, we don't like to talk about the old elephant in the room, do we, Brent? And I said, mm -hmm. what's the elephant in the room for you? He said, oh, he, he couldn't even say mental health and said, oh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I said, are you, is that so much of an elephant in the room? He said, oh, yeah. And I said, everybody has an elephant. Doesn't matter whether it's body dysmorphia, doesn't matter whether it's anorexia, doesn't matter whether it's lack of confidence, whether it's Asperger's, whether it's autism, doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. But it all affects our mental health. I thought then, that's it, an elephant. So I went to, off to the Philippines and I got a mold made for this cute little baby elephant. It brought in through with the help of Call Market and Fidelity Investments. I, I bought in, I think, 30 elephants, and I've had 20 of them decorated by these fabulous artists who have been so generous with their time to what their elephants feel like for them, you know. Um, I've also had them, Adam Payton from U2's come on board. He's doing an elephant, PJ Gallagher, Charlie Bird did one of me. Wow. So I'm going to be tapping all the celebrities I know. Done one for the Munster Rugby Union, one for the Irish Rugby Union. Yeah. Then, They'll all be auctioned for the Samaritans, for fundraising for the Samaritans. But what I hope is that companies take an elephant and they brand them up with their own colors. Oh, yeah. And it okay. comes on a plinth saying that Vodafone or whatever, or Irish Rail or whatever, joining a movement where uh, um, they want to encourage people speaking out about mental health in the workplace. Hmm. So I've had a huge bind because I want to start to create a movement of awareness. And it's not just a fundraising arm. It's more about that I want to see these elephants in every classroom to boardroom around Ireland. Because when people come into a workplace and they see an elephant there, that's just a way of encouraging the conversation. 
so that yeah. they know straight away that they're in a place of care that somebody has thought about them. Mm. I love the concept because it's quite literally talking yeah. about the elephant yeah. in the room. The elephant is there and it sparks a conversation about, well, what, what's that? You know, why do you have yeah. that elephant there? Exactly. And, exactly. Yeah. and yeah. especially for younger people, they love mm. it. Yeah. yeah. But look, thanks for giving me the platform. You can see how enthused I am about speaking about mental health because yeah. it's, it means a lot to my life yeah. and, and others. And hopefully I continue to do what I can do yeah. and other people join join suit and so that it becomes a place that people can competently stride into work and mm. say, hey, I'm going to get this sorted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to yeah. get my life back on track and I want to work in a happy work environment. And mm. This is what it means. And this is what it means opening up then fine. I'm all yeah. for it. Yeah. And thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and your insights and your tools and, and everything. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you today. So I really, really appreciate that. That was Brent Pope talking about his own experience with mental health issues. Now, before I go on to summarise some of the key points that we talked about, I wanted to remind you to get involved in the conversation. I'd love to know what you thought of today's episode. I do post across various social media channels, mostly on LinkedIn and Instagram, but you'll find links to all of those channels on my website, happieratwork.ie. Now, first of all, what Brent shared about was some of the challenges around mental health issues. So feeling like you can't manage on your own, but then you have the fears as well. And in, and in his words, the fear at the time when he first experienced mental health issues was, you know, having a straitjacket and being put away essentially. And uh, as a man then feeling weak as a man, real men don't cry and there's a sense of shame and judgment associated with it. And maybe you have a breakdown and you feel very isolated because of what's going on for you. Now, he acknowledged that the times are changing at the moment. And one of the really kind of interesting and important things to highlight here was that on the outside, he appeared very successful. So he was achieving so, so much but at the same time feeling like a total failure on the inside and then questioning, like, who am I really? When on the outside, this is the person that everyone perceives, the happy-go-lucky guy, when at the same time inside you're really, really struggling. So something to, important to bear in mind, I think, because what we perceive on the outside of other people isn't necessarily what's going on underneath as well. And this idea of what if they see the real me? So letting them in too much versus being a burden to other people then. One of the other interesting things that I felt came from the conversation was this idea of there not being a trigger. So it came up a couple of times. There's no trigger necessarily for anxiety or depression as he experienced it. Oftentimes we kind of go looking for what was the cause of that or what was the trigger initially of it. And I think it's interesting to say it doesn't, there's no necessary trigger it just sort of happens sometimes and going back to this idea of the success you know he acknowledged that as well higher level of success means it's harder to ask for help because again this outside perception is different to what's going on internally he acknowledged that one of the really important aspects is asking for help so if you're going through something similar to what he has described it's about reaching out and asking for help and understanding that having mental health difficulties is part of being human. Knowing what your own toolbox is or your resources that you can reach out to when you're going through those difficulties is really, really important. And some of the key things as well that I pulled out from the conversation 
don't expect that people will get it right all the time. So maybe people that you're dealing with will make mistakes when they're addressing mental health difficulties. He acknowledged that loneliness is as an epidemic, and I've seen research on this as well. Like it's really important to acknowledge that loneliness is different to isolation as well. You can still feel lonely and be surrounded by loads of people, but just acknowledging that loneliness is an epidemic. And he emphasized the importance of connections as well and how important it is to have those connections in your life and to foster those connections in your life because, you know, they're the people who you can turn to. They're the people who can help you in your life. And also really important about understanding what works really, really well for you. So some of the things he specifically shared about in relation to that is managing stress better. So ongoing stress can lead to anxiety. Acute stress can be a friend. So it's, you know, serves as a challenge. It can be uh, turning from nervousness into excitement. So shifting the language around that. But then chronic stress is, can I handle, for example, losing my job? So is there underlying chronic stress going on as well? Coming back then to your core values, understanding what your purpose is, what your why is, and reframing some of your thoughts and, and how you approach things. Another of the solutions he put forward then was about achieving something every day. So, for example, making your bed. So when you get up in the morning, make your bed and you've achieved something right away. And having gratitude, so being grateful for the things that you have in your life or for the people that you have in your life, changing your habits, so identifying what habits are working well for you, what habits maybe are no longer serving you and doing something about it and reiterating this idea of connections. So continuing the connections that you have, making new connections and smiling at strangers. Brent also shared something about time and how to make the most of your time. So what is the best use of your time versus what is the current use of your time? How are you currently using your time versus how might you use your time better? And how do you put boundaries around how you use your time at the moment? Bringing it back specifically to a workplace context, then Brent said that the three biggest costs for organizations are absenteeism, lack of productivity, and then training and retention for employees as well. And oftentimes management are afraid of opening Pandora's box if they start talking about mental health and talking about mental health awareness, then it, they feel like it's this sense of opening Pandora's box and they can't kind of close it again. But really in the workplace setting, in a workplace scenario, it's about creating a psychological safety. So showing care and support through vulnerability, asking for help as something to be applauded and then feeling cared for and feeling nurtured and offering care for other people in the workplace. And really this again, and this has been talked about so many times on the podcast, it's about getting the culture right. That is it for today's podcast episode. I'll be back again next week. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode and I'd love to hear your thoughts. That was another episode of the Happier at Work podcast. And if you've made it this far, well done you. Thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to today's episode. If you did enjoy it, please consider leaving a rating, a review or share it with a friend. I would love for you to get involved in the conversation. And also, if you'd like to know more about how I can help you or your business, head on over to happieratwork.ie.